0: This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbruner.com and take your skills to the next level. If you've ever had a Sam Adams beer, you may know that it originated in Boston, Massachusetts. But what you may not know is that the woman behind making it a household brand and a behemoth in the industry didn't even drink beer when she co-founded the company. This entrepreneur, who went from being an executive secretary to now having more than 35 years in the alcohol industry, has waged battles both professionally and personally and back to success again with her own company, Boston Harbor Distillery, now making whiskey. Rhonda Calvin. welcome to my podcast. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. I've heard you say that if you could just get by on making whiskey all day, you would. What do you love about this
1: fermented grain mash and where did that passion come from? Well, isn't that a good question? I just love everything about it. <laughs> when I was a very little girl, my father used to drink rye whiskey mm-hmm. and uh, he'd fall asleep and I'd taste it and, like, oh, I just loved it. It's the complexity and the, oh. the grains and the ingredients and the flavors and the wood bringing that all together. And how it makes you feel is fun too.
0: Of course it is, of course it is. Now some might say you were actually born into this industry with that kind of a background, because then at the age of 15, you got your first gig at a bar. And even when you were working as an executive secretary with the Boston Consulting Group, for those five years, That you were there, you were moonlighting as a bartender and a waitress. I had to imagine there were some pretty tough mornings
1: (laughs) after that. (laughs) I did always come in a little late and a little hungover, but I was good at what I did. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: while working at the Boston Consulting Group, that's where you first met Jim Cook. And he told you that he wanted your help in starting to brew beer. You were a whiskey drinker, not a beer drinker. What did you know about beer and the beer brewing industry?
1: Well, frankly, nothing. Uh, Neither one of us had ever sold anything. We didn't know about how to sell beer. But he is the sixth consecutive oldest son to be a brewer in his family, three Harvard degrees, management consultant. So we knew about beer, and he knew about business, but he didn't know anything about bars. So all those mornings actually paid off for me.
0: (laughs) There's a lesson in there somewhere, right? (laughs) Now, is it true, because you mentioned he did come from a long line of brewers. Yes. And I read that you guys wanted to use his great-great-grandfather's beer recipe. Yeah. Did you?
1: Oh, that was him. Oh, yes, Uh absolutely. Yes, they literally found it in a trunk in in an attic.
0: Yep. So what made this beer, which ultimately became Sam Adams, so unique and so special? Was it that family recipe, those ingredients, how it
1: was made? What made it so unique? Sort of all of the above at the time in the mid-'80s. It was a very pale, bland landscape of yellow fizzy beer, all made with corn. And there are your big guys, Bud, Miller, Coors, you know, Corona wasn't even here yet. Heineken, they're all corn-based. So they're a little lighter, they're a little sweeter, they're cheaper to make, but it's corn. So what craft is really an ingredient story. So Jim took his great-great-grandfather's recipe from the 1800s, In Germany, there's something called the Rheinheitsgebot, which is basically rides herd over what the beer is made from. And it was all grain, 100% malted barley. Hmm. And so that's what I'm doing now, is I took a page out of what we did at Sam Adams using whole grains, which are Hmm. better for you. They're bigger, they're bolder, they're richer, and they're awesome. Well,
0: you really helped create a term you just mentioned a moment ago, craft, craft beer. And given all your trainings and insights is what I'm going to call it (laughs) from the Boston bar scene, you really sold the hell out of Sam Adams bar and you turned it into a household name. You went from bar to bar, you went from door to door. And the beverage industry, not unlike a lot of industries, but it's a tough one, it's a boys club. How did you deal with it then? How do you deal with it today if it still exists?
1: Oh, it exists. I bet it does. (laughs) I actually have a recognition award from the Brewers Association as being the pioneering woman in the beer business. There were just no women around. So everybody would be like, oh, are you Jim's wife or his girlfriend or his daughter? Um, You know, are you the promotional girl? You know, I was always getting these sideways glances. But once they listened to me for a minute or two, they realized I knew what I was doing and I was really passionate about it. And I believed in it, and yeah. I still believe in it. I mean, when you're trying to sell something, frankly, it either has to be, you know, better or cheaper or innovative. And we were on the, the better and the innovative side of that. So you know, craft beer was not actually a category until it was really Jim. The credit really goes to him in, in so many ways, but he coined that term after I was out in San Francisco trying to sell Sam Adams to Candlestick Park. <laughs> and, they said, and at the time, the term was microbreweries right. and microbeers. And they're like, how can you be so micro and be 3,000 miles away? And I came back to Boston. I said, Jim, we've got a problem. we got to change the branding <laughs> of we've this. Right? We've got a problem. Oh, wow. and, he, and he really coined that term craft. Yeah. Better beer. Better beer.
0: You mentioned that honor that you got called the pioneering woman in the beer industry, Mm -hmm. and that was from the Institute of Brewing Studies. And you've also received other, many, many recognitions. One by Inc. Magazine's 25 Entrepreneurs We Love, and that was along with other luminaries such as Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs, two men, I might add. Mm -hmm. Uh You were named one of the top innovators in the beer industry by Draft Magazine, and those are just to just name a couple of them. And you were featured in the movie Beer Wars, I want to say, take that to the boys club, right? (laughs) With all of that. But after 15 years in the industry, you decide to leave. Why? And what did you think you might do next?
1: Well, that was a good question. It was hard to leave because Boston Beer Company was so much a part of my life. Yeah, You know, 18 hours a day kind of thing. I wake up thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about (laughs) it. And I loved everything about it, though, you know, there's a time in the company's trajectory, if you will. I mean, I'm the co-founder and I'll always be that. Yes. And when we went public, it obviously started to change things. And I just found myself behind a, a conference room table all the time. And I wasn't really happy with that. I really love learning from the consumers to being at the point of purchase, to seeing how they're drinking, what are they drinking, what makes this different? How do we stand out? And I was getting further and further and further away. So there was an article once, I, I have to say this, I loved it. It was, uh, I stepped off my, my throne as the queen of beer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then you had another venture shortly thereafter, which was a true light beer. True. And, and it was called Edison. And that was with the New Century Brewing Company. And you made this with the brewmaster who invented light beer to begin with back in 67 Moonshot, the original premium beer that had caffeine. How did that all come about?
1: So I left Boston Beer. It was the whole Y2K thing was going on. You know, it's 2000 and all right, so we survived. But So I went to the Caribbean. At the time, I had two small children, my husband, and now I have three. At the time, I got a call from Jim's brewing consultant, who, of course, I admired him and he admired me, Dr. Joseph Awaitis. And he called me, and I was in the Caribbean, he said, I'll make a beer, you start a company. And I went, oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> Joe, I just ended a company, right? <laughs> the hell am I going to
1: make? <laughs> and so there I was in the Caribbean, and I was drinking this light beer. And I thought, well, this man invented light beer in 1967. So I called Joe back, and I said, Joe, surely we can do light beer better. That's where Edison was, was born. That was its birth, okay. And I started New Century Brewing Company, I think it was the first... Brewing Company of the New Millennium, and that's New
0: Century. New Century <laughs> Brewing <laughs> okay. Company,
1: and I, you know, raised some capital, which Jim had al- al- always had done that for for the business. So I was new at that, and I was planning my launch of the National Beer Wholesalers Convention in Las Vegas in September of two thousand one, and it happened to be we launched on the tenth, and we barely went to sleep because it was Las Vegas, and Nine Eleven 11 happened. Right. So that was, uh, you know, rude awakening. Yeah. And, and when you're launching something in Boston and New York, those two markets were not a great place. So anyway, it was a long road from there because I was basically showing up to a gunfight with a pebble.
0: That's quite the analogy.
1: <laughs> and I persevered, and I found a place for Edison, which was this wonderful light beer made from scratch to be light. It wasn't a watered-down version of anything else. It was light beer made to be light beer. Made by the man who invented light beer in the 60s. We just figured out how to do it better. And it was tough, because now I'm really up against Bud Miller, course, those guys. But I found my way. Trader Joe's, they love to sell something that's high quality as an alternative. Chef-owned, operated places, etc. But it really wasn't enough. Mm. And that's when I... Few years into it, created Moonshot, the first ever beer with caffeine,
0: and that ultimately leads to
1: a little fiasco with the FDA. Yeah, what happened? Picking my battles, right? Um, (laughs) You've had a few along the way. At the time, there are a hundred billion dollars worth of beer consumed annually in the United States, and if you're a beer lover and you want to pick me up, you really have to leave beer. You go to Red Bull and vodka, which is bad. you know, Jack and Coke or Irish coffees, but there was nothing for beer lovers. And I recognized that there was an opportunity. So that was why you wanted to put the caffeine in the beer? Yeah. And so caffeine is odorless and tasteless. So it was a beer that looked like a beer that tasted like a beer because it was a beer. And it had a little kick (laughs) with 69 milligrams of natural caffeine, which comes from the decaffeinization of a coffee bean. And so I call a He was 84 at the time. And I said, Joe, can you make me a beer with caffeine? And he hung up on me. But I, I called him <laughs> back. And I went through the business reasons. And two days later, he called me back. And he said, we can do it. So I ended up calling it Moonshot because it was the year that the astronauts landed on the moon, 1969. I love all this history yeah, that you throw you in. Know, <laughs> and, and the TTB, which is the agency that rides herd over alcoholic beverages, actually worked with me on naming it. It was a long story. But it was awesome, and we got it done, and we had a patent in four countries of adding caffeine to beer now. Well, it took me a long time to get it going, finally started to make it happen, because it was innovative. It cut through. There were other imitators of like Four loco and Panther Juice, and they, they didn't make what I made, which was good quality craft beer. Theirs was 12% alcohol in a can. It was like a speedball, you know, and with 259 milligrams of caffeine. 12% alcohol by volume. And they ended up getting us all shut down. So it wasn't the TTB that did it because they knew they approved my mark on four different occasions. It was the FDA and they ride hard over caffeine. Wow! So we got shut down. It's the only thing since prohibition to be banned. So if you go to the website, <laughs> you'll see me there. And that's When I lost heart in the beer business. Oh, yeah. And I had given so much for so many years, and I just started to think about what was next for me and saw this white space for whiskey making in Boston, just like Jim did for craft beer back in the mid-'80s.
0: But even before you get to making whiskey, because in the midst of all of this that you're going through with the caffeinated beer and the FDA, you end up waging your own personal battle. Yes. Yes. You were diagnosed with stage three breast cancer in the midst of all of this. Yeah. And it necessitated serious treatments. What did you have to go through?
1: You know, the usual. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chemo and radiation and, mm. you know, losing your hair is just part of it. Yeah. Though that's what freaks out your little kids and everybody sure. around you. And sure. Every day I, I was changing in yeah. weird, weird ways. But I persevered. That was, and you're healthy today. I am. Yeah, it's 14 years 14 ago. 14 years. That's huge. That's the, a huge milestone. It is. It's been the was the best care, you know, here in Boston. Sure. Very, very fortunate. Yeah. So yeah, that's you know, when life hands you lemons, <laughs> I make whiskey, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is exactly what you did do because after a couple of years, I mean, you century closed. Now you're finally tuned palate after all these years you launch Boston Harbor Distillery. You're finally making whiskey. And you even have said that whiskey is the evolution of beer. Tell me what that feels like to
1: be making something that you're so passionate about. It's awesome. Um, It's scary. It's hard as hell. Um, In the whiskey business, you have to prepay for everything. So the building, the employees, the insurance, the grains, the barrels, the, the utilities, all of it. And wait years and hope that someone's going to buy it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So right now we're bottling everything. All of our whiskey is over four years old now, but it's taken us really five years to get there. So it takes
0: that long from the time you first like put it in the barrel before you actually
1: sell it. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So we have others, you know, we make yeah. gin and, and we make liqueurs and other things. So now you have this amazing building. Yes.
0: that you are doing all this in and it has a lot of history every bottle of spirits that you produce packs a history lesson into it tell me about
1: both of those well I knew I wanted to make whiskey and I knew I wanted to make it here in Boston normally you build a company around a, a brand idea and this time I just knew I wanted to make whiskey and I wanted to do it in my beloved city of Boston My husband's a builder. We found this falling down, dilapidated junk collector's warehouse (laughs) right off the expressway that everybody's been driving by for for decades but never stops. It's in this old uh, Port Norfolk neighborhood of Neponset, which is a neighborhood of Dorchester, which Dorchester is twenty percent of the population of Boston, so it's a neighborhood of Boston. So it's this really funky, hard place to find. And we found this beautiful old building that my husband renovated. I always say he's great with wood. He's good with his hands too. It's beautiful. And we were moving along and I got this little still from America's oldest uh, still manufacturer in Louisville, Kentucky. It's called the Vendome Copper Works. The still number is 1,776. So 1776 ended up right here in Boston, which was awesome. So I said to my husband, I, maybe this thing might work. So long story short, we're in there painting one night and it, dawned on me, you know, there's the horses and whiskey imagery. You see that a lot with whiskey, whether it's Scotland or Ireland or Kentucky. And we don't have a lot of horses around me. We have some horses' asses <laughs> here in Boston, <laughs> but not as many horses. And there it was, right under my nose, it was the Putnam Nail Factory that this guy Silas Putnam, who was uh, the Putnam family lineage, started there with his uncle, General Israel Putnam. And Silas made horseshoe nails and supplied horseshoe nails to both sides of the Civil War, right out of my distillery. My whiskey is named Putnam, with a horse on the uh, label. And then when the car came in, uh, there was no need for horseshoe nails. So then it was the Lawley Shipyard. And Lawley's is famous for building America's Cup winning yachts. And in my building, they built minesweepers for World War II. They too had government contracts. So we have a nautical line of gin and small batch rums, 100% molasses, delicious stuff that I call Lollie's. We're right on the corner of Lolly Street. And then finally, the last notable entrepreneur to have commerce there was the Seymour's Ice Cream Factory. So that inspired my confectionery line <laughs> of Boston Harbor maple cream, coffee liqueur, and pre-bottled espresso martini, which is so good. Oh, I love espresso martinis. Oh my gosh, you, you're you just have to, to right share there. it. All right, I'm getting you some <laughs> Unfortunately, so I I had the Seymour's line and beautiful labeling and Seymour's. And unfortunately, some entrepreneur in uh, California had a winery who was making like less than 100 cases a year, but he wanted me to send him a check every quarter. So I changed the name to Boston Harbor (laughs) Maple Cream, but it was inspired by that. And we also Distill Sam Adams beer there. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So you
0: you do have something. Do
1: you make beer there, or you have a liqueur that is based on the beer? Well, it's actually we bring finished beer in from Sam Adams. Okay, and then we run it right to the still, so we don't have to start it there. We just distill it there, and then we lay it down, age it on site, and use barrels, so that you don't want too much wood to overwhelm the nuances. But it's so different. It's distilled beer. It's really. It's whiskey for beer lovers and beer for whiskey lovers, the way I think. <laughs> like, so does it taste like beer or does it taste like whiskey? It tastes like whiskey, but the government won't let us call it that. So, so what do you call it? So it's really 84-proof beer, cause, and it's 84-proof, which is the year we started Sam Adams. So we got a little bit of that going in there, too. I don't leave it to me, <laughs> right? I get all the history. I love it. And, uh, yeah, so one consumer, one customer came in for a tour said, I love this place. It's like a history lesson in a shot in every glass. <laughs> And so anything that doesn't meet the the government standard class or identity has to, they call it a spirit. It's like this catch-all term. Mm -hmm. So this distilled beer is called Spirit Spirit of Boston. Okay. Okay. Not like the boat, but. Okay, (laughs) spirit. So whiskey,
0: spirits, I mean, they're all, liqueurs, they all have different meanings. Yes. They all have different meanings. They do. Your journey from secretary to executive of a billion-dollar company and a female entrepreneur, I might add, certainly has had its share of ups and downs. What advice do you have for any entrepreneur, let alone someone who may want to get into this crazy business industry?
1: You have to believe in yourself and your abilities. Mm -hmm. And that's really been my mantra. Mm -hmm. I do believe in myself. And it's hard, you know, when you look at a young woman, you know, that doesn't have classical training, didn't go to the best schools necessarily. People are like, what gives you the right to do this? <laughs> because we live in America. It's a free country. And we can do whatever we want, mm-hmm. whatever we put our mind to. And for me, you know, I work a lot. And I love it. Mm-hmm. We all work a lot in this country. If you want Good if things. you want to, if you yeah. want to, you can, and you do. And I thought, why not do something that you really love, because you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. And I really do love it. Somebody once said to me, "Why don't you put your energy and your passion and your commitment to something that's more important than booze?" <laughs> like, really? There's something more important? No I'm kidding. And you know what? I will. I will at some point. I mean. I but have, you already I have are. <laughs> but you
0: already are, Rhonda, because you are such a huge supporter of women entrepreneurs. You do a lot of speaking on that, on women's empowerment and overcoming adversity. Mm-hmm. What, as you sit here today and look back over your life, what do you think has been the biggest challenge that you have overcome?
1: I hate to say being a woman in the business. That's a challenge. People ask me, well, what's it like? And I say, well, I don't know what it's like to be a man. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> And I can tell you, I've used my feminineness to my advantage, as you, I'm sure, Uh, in many circumstances. You know, when we first started in the beer business, there weren't no women around. So I'd go to a conference in Las Vegas, and there's 1,200 guys and me. And Rhonda. (laughs) So I stood out in the crowd. That's for sure. But again, you have to really believe in yourself and your abilities and Mm -hmm. your passion and have thick skin. There's so much bias. And there's... So much unconscious bias. So, what we've been trying to do as women and minorities, I still can't understand why women and minorities were 51% of the population, men are the minorities. But I'll leave that there. You know, I just feel like this whole Me Too movement today's Juneteenth the minorities are all in the same bucket. And every time one of the categories in that bucket makes progress, it sort of affects the other one negatively. We don't, we're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can someday You know, for, for our children and our yeah. future. With all that you have accomplished and overcome, what does it mean to live your best life today? YOLO. Um, what does it mean to live my best life? I guess I just do that every day. At this time, I have basically everything I want, mm-hmm. material-wise though still I need to work and I don't make that much money. The company is still in startup mode, but we're almost there, almost at that crest of break even. You know, the pandemic pushed us back a little bit. I just want to be rewarded for the efforts. And the biggest reward for me is when I see consumers try what we, we make and they, their eyes light up and they love it and they're wowed by it. That's rewarding to put a measurement, of financial measurement on that would be very nice. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the, that's the end for me. Or the beginning. Or the beginning. Or the beginning <laughs> of, of, of the, the next, next
0: chapter. chapter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Boston Harbor Distillery is located at the port of Boston Harbor, right? Yep. And I got to tell you folks, they're open for tours. They're open for tastings. And you can host events there. So if you really want to learn more, and I encourage you to do so, just go to bostonharbordistillery.com, and that's just like it sounds, bostonharbordistillery.com. Rhonda, I'm so happy that you were on the show today, and you're showing us that we all can follow our passion and not allow challenges to stop us, because life is full of challenges every day, whether you're in the minority or not. There are challenges and we can move forward and pursue our dreams. You're
1: doing just that. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Liz.
0: You're inspirational, too. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode. Share it with your friends. Write a review. We love hearing from our listeners all around the world. We're in 140-plus countries. Amazing. May you be inspired by Rhonda's passion and how to rise up from the pitfalls of life and find the courage to continue to try again and again again.